0: Today's episode is sponsored by Expectful, a guided meditation and mindfulness app for your fertility, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. It's easy and fun to use as well as affordable. And did you know that science shows meditation can reduce anxiety and improve your relationships? Head to expectful.com motherbirth for an exclusive one-month free trial just for motherbirth listeners.
1: You know, they're not, they're not coming to us just pregnant and so many other layers to them. And I think that that is one of the things that I've come to understand and love about midwifery is that we really do get to know these women's women. We really get to know their families. Uh, they become like our family as well.
2: Welcome to Motherbirth. We help women awaken the confidence that is already within.
0: This is a space for vivid, inspiring birth stories meaningful advice from guest experts, and honest exploration of what it means to become a mother.
2: Hey everybody, it's Laura Melissa here with Mother Birth, and we're really excited about the guest we have on today. Nikia Grayson will be joining us and talking to, to us about uh, the current work she's doing and kind of what road led her to being a huge piece of the beginning of people's women's health journey. Nikia, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Hello. Well, my name is Nakia Grayson, and I'm a certified nurse midwife who lives and works in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm not from Memphis, and what's really interesting is when I moved here, I was working in public health, specifically sexual and reproductive health, and looking at uh, HIV and how HIV affects uh, communities of color, and I kind of stumbled upon this interesting and disturbing fact about uh, the infant mortality rate among uh, families of color in Memphis and how at the time Mm -hmm. it was the highest in the nation. And Mm -hmm. I kind of started doing some research and realized that uh, this was so pervasive in the community. And so I really wanted to see what I could do to help. So I moved from being a public health practitioner and anthropologist to deciding to be a nurse midwife to provide, to be able to provide care to families. So it was just, it's a really interesting journey.
2: Yeah, Yeah, actually we had a guest on um, last fall who had a very similar journey. She was working in public health and um, I'm in my last year of nurse midwifery school. And I think it's interesting to me as I meet more and more nurse midwives, some of them or, you know, in the nursing profession or knew they wanted to work in the birth world or in the women's health world. But there are a lot of women who are more were more in like a public health or a public service sector who kind of looked at the models that existed and were like, I want to make a change. And I actually see this is the way of making change. I'm going to be the person who's actually like meeting with the people and giving the care.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think that is definitely what happened with me. Uh, I never saw myself as a nurse. I definitely never saw myself mm-hmm. as a provider or a caregiver. Um, but I did see a huge need in the community in Memphis. We don't have a lot of, uh, midwives here. Um, -hmm. we definitely don't have a lot of nurse midwives. And so when I made this decision, I realized that, uh, it was going to be like a, a, kind of a battle to bring midwifery to Memphis because, um, Well, that's what we're
0: going to call this episode. Yeah, bringing midwifery to Memphis. Yeah, bringing
1: midwifery (laughs) to Memphis. You know, and and really making it more mainstream. There are a few nurse midwives here, uh, but no one really knows about the midwifery community here. So the work that we're doing at Choices is really uh, groundbreaking in the sense that one, we're trying to definitely uh, bring midwifery to the forefront. Uh, in Memphis, but also to integrate midwifery into the healthcare system here in Memphis and provide people with options. You know, you 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 know, you can go see your OBGYN if you want, but we also want you to have the option of having a midwife, the option of where you choose to birth, if you want to birth at home, if you want to birth at the hospital. And now, you know, Choices uh, is building a birthing center in the community. So it'll be the first one. And we're really excited about that as well.
0: That's, that's so exciting. I mean, when you reached out to us, I think that just, you know, really piqued both of our interests, the thought of, you know, doing that in a community, like you said, that, that is, has struggled in, in so many public health ways and really particularly with, you know, maternal, maternal issues. And I think that um, there are so many, so many factors that play into that. I'm, I'm curious kind of in your personal journey, you know, you have this, this sort of revelation where you realize where you want to position yourself to make the biggest difference. And then as you were on this journey of, you know, getting, um, you know, doing your education to become a certified nurse midwife, did you at any point along the way feel like, Oh no, this isn't, this isn't going to be what I thought it was going to be. It's not going to make the difference that I thought it would. Or since you've been practicing, have you had moments like that? Or have you felt like really, really affirmed that you, you know, moved in the right direction?
1: Uh, I think I felt both. <laughs> I think mm, um, sure. I think the pathway to midwifery is extremely hard. Um, the pathway to becoming uh, a, a midwife is just has a lot of challenges and barriers. And then, um, so I felt like I had to really fight for it. Like it was. What are some of
0: those, what are some of those barriers and challenges for people that are listening? Yeah,
1: I think that some of the barriers are um, one, finding the program that works for you, finding a the, uh, mm-hmm. there are not a lot of midwifery programs in the country. And in Tennessee, there is one at Vanderbilt University but if you don't go to Vanderbilt, there are not a lot of options in Tennessee. So I went to Frontier Nursing University. Mm-hmm. I had a great experience with Frontier. I was very happy with, um, with my distance education with Frontier. But then the next barrier became finding places to practice. To actually well, train. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a huge problem right now. Uh, there aren't a lot of uh, places for nurse midwifery students. And then to try to find a space in Memphis for me was, um, well, I wouldn't say it was a challenge because I the hospital that I worked at did have a about two or three midwives, and they had agreed to um, to let me do my preceptorship there. But the problem became, you know, getting that paperwork done and uh, finding the right training opportunities for myself because, because I did work at the Mm -hmm. hospital. um, I think that that experience was, it was almost like I I already knew what to do there. I had been a labor and delivery nurse there and on on the labor and delivery floor for three years. But the the experience that I was looking for was something that was a little bit more organic and a little bit more uh, midwifery, I guess. You know, um, I don't think Mm -hmm. that, I thought that midwives were, well, I'll say that the midwives that they weren't practicing in the way that I wanted to practice. It wasn't a, to me, a community-based midwifery program that was uh, seeing women and having these uh, more organic relationship type care practices. You know what I mean? Like, to me, midwifery care is Mm -hmm. relationship-based. And to me uh yeah. being in the hospital was more clinical, and so I was like, oh well this isn't this isn't what I wanted to do, but not in the fashion that I wanted to do it so I think that that was um mm-hmm.
2: uh, like more full so, scope or more full yeah, spectrum. I
1: didn't feel like it was a full spectrum type yeah. uh with free experience and so mm-hmm. to me, some days that made me feel that uh my decision was not the best decision um but I mm-hmm. had a vision of what it was I wanted to do. So I kind of pushed through and uh, with the idea or with the hope that my vision could come to life if I continued, you know, uh, that I could make it come to life for myself. So uh, and then, you know, once I started practicing, you know, Choices is a uh, a reproductive health clinic in Memphis. That is a small clinic, but it's a really powerful clinic in that choices is truly meeting the needs of those in the community. The way choices came about was it was a um, it was it began in nineteen seventy four uh shortly after roe v wade and it was a first trimester abortion clinic that was a cash pay clinic mm-hmm. and uh didn't accept insurance or anything like that and the evolution of choices has been really interesting. It was interesting to me because it started recognizing that the community had other needs. And so they started providing Mm -hmm. different type of healthcare services based on the community needs. So started seeing LGBTQ persons who needed healthcare or started providing healthcare for persons who were HIV positive. So it kind of evolved and it was still doing, you know, the first trimester abortions, but it became this comprehensive reproductive health center. So when the mm-hmm. executive director said that uh, she wanted to provide women with all the reproductive health services they needed and, and prenatal care and birth were along those lines as well, uh, it was just...
0: Because they did not previously provide prenatal care or midwifery care or, or nope, services. no
1: they never provided prenatal care or birth services so this was our uh okay. first year doing this and uh it's been received actually really well and it is so how did you connect with them uh well you know i knew about choices of course and uh the, i knew the executive director and some of the folks that worked there in the community uh, because of the work i did with uh, reproductive health work I've done in the yeah in the community. So we kind of moved in the same circles. Memphis is a big, small town, so um, we all yeah. know each other. <laughs> and uh, Rebecca Terrell, who's the executive director, had heard that I was in school to become a midwife. And so we were both at a midwifery conference together uh, in Atlanta a few years ago. And she was like, let's go to dinner. And we went to dinner and she kind of outlined where her vision was which was to make this comprehensive reproductive health center that had these you know birth options um and to put birthing suites into this new sixteen thousand square foot building and at first i was like are you crazy (laughs) these people this is crazy this is a crazy (laughs) idea because there are no models like it um and so as we talked a little more and, and it makes sense i mean the same women that they're servicing for abortions are the same women who have babies. And, um, so right. we are just providing them with non-judgmental, high quality care. And that's what she said she wanted to do. And I was like, okay, well, this is radical enough for us to even pull it off. So, um, we, <laughs> we just set forward and said, we're going to uh, see how it go and we're going to, make the path as we go, because there, like I said, there were no other, or there are no other clinics uh, or uh, private clinics that have midwifery services. So even when I was graduating, there were no midwifery jobs or opportunities in Memphis, no other uh, place besides the hospital that had a, a you know handful of midwives there employed midwives in the city. So, um, mm-hmm. It seemed like a good opportunity, and it has really been a great opportunity. And uh, I think that the reception we have had in the community was far better than all of us have expected. Um, Our goal for the year really was, okay, we'll take 40 patients. We'll see how this goes. And we're up to, like, 55 now. So it's been going really good. Hmm.
2: That's great. Yeah, that's great. I think it's, you know, I mean, I want to say, I think it's very brave of you. And I don't think people, you know, we live, there's different kinds of birth bubbles. You know, Melissa and I both have spent a lot of time in the Northwest, which is extremely midwifery friendly. You can't throw a rock and not hit a midwife (laughs) in comparison to other places in the world where midwives are just not found. There's deserts with no midwives. And I just think it's really brave of you to be in a town where you go, there's no job for me. I'm gonna make. It. <laughs> I'm gonna become a midwife, <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna work in this community. This is my community, and I think that that is such a a huge inspiration to people who have that feeling. Like you said, and you know, everybody's heard me say it. It's like becoming a midwife is no easy task. It is a lot of work. It is the system is not set up for you. You know, and not that, I mean, medical school is extremely hard work, but there's lots of systems to oh, set yeah, and they have lots how of that support. thing goes. So you enter medical school, you get accepted to a program and you, you are on the train. And unless you decide to get off the train, oh, the absolutely. train will keep going in your direction. The yeah. Wifery is like, I'm going to need you to build the train. I'm going to need you to gather the coal. I'm going to need you to shuck it in there. And some amazing midwife is going to help you do that. You're going to find someone who's going to help train you out of the goodness of their heart. Most of them don't get compensation. Some do, but most do not. And they are going to help you start the trains so you can get on and get, get to your destination, yeah. which is becoming a midwife. And so I just want to say, you know, to you, it's very inspiring to me that you, you are in a midwifery desert and you're like, but I'm, an, I'm going to become a midwife and you know what a job, a job is going to, I'm going to make a job or I'm going to find a job. Yeah. And it sounds like it kind of happened at the same time. A job was made for you and you found a job that really fit what you were really aching for. And, you know. I think, you know, we haven't done a lot of talk about choice or, um, abortion, providing abortions in the show, it just hasn't come up, but I think it's really difficult sometimes for people to hold space for that in a birth world and in a, in a world taking care of mothers. But I, you know, personally have been very inspired and convicted by what you're saying exactly, which is a lot of women who have abortions also have babies and why can't they be cared for by the same people? And why can't that be a part of their family planning story? Why do we have to put these, you know, why do you have to go to separate clinics? Why do you have to go to different people? Why do you have to separate these, you know, parts of your journey or your story? Um, And I love the idea that you're in a community where you're meeting. Right. Whatever it is, whatever Whatever you come
1: to the table with, we recognize you as uh, being valued. Uh, We see your humanity. We understand that, um, Sometimes we have to make hard decisions that nobody wants to make. But I think one of the things I love about where I work is right. is really really um uh, important to us that we provide non-judgmental care. And um one of the biggest things mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. uh we are really uh, doing in the community is showing people that you that it's okay whatever decision you make, is okay. And we're Mm -hmm. going to support you in whatever decision you make. So of course, you know, on the abortion side, they get counseling. And when they go to the counselors, uh, the counselors tell them about Mm -hmm. all of their options, all of their options. That is very Mm -hmm. important that you have a choice to, you know, uh, you you know what your choices are. So that, you know, they tell them about all of their options. And if they meet someone who says, hey, I'm not sure what I want to do. They pick up the phone and they call me or they call my mm-hmm. practice partner and they're like, hey, can you all come and talk to her about her options if she chooses to continue her pregnancy and what we can offer her? And we do. And then we have some who choose to continue the pregnancy and we help them with that. And then we have some who choose not to. And the clinic is there to help them with that as well. So um, I think it's really um, it's really great. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we, and we know like the research shows that when women actually have continuity of care and when they have these care provider relationships that they can trust throughout their, you know, childbearing years, you know, through their reproductive health um, journey, it's, it changes like what kind of quality of care they are able to get like if they know that they have somewhere safe that they can trust to turn to then you know when they're pregnant again in the future they will actually be more likely to come in for prenatal care as opposed to you know not doing that and 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 then suffering in different ways you know i think it's i think it's so powerful yeah you know doing. it's
1: i don't think i realized how important this work was going to be until we, i really started to do it i think um, in a lot of ways, midwifery is romanticized and, you know, this idea that you, oh, you are a midwife, mm-hmm. you care for women, they have babies, they're so joyous, uh, <laughs> and it can be joyous, but this is really hard work and it's really hard yeah. to, uh, mm-hmm. to hold space for women, um. And to hold that space and and to support them in all of their experiences, uh, because they bring their whole self to their care. They don't come and uh, just, you know, they're not they're not coming to us just pregnant. And so many other layers to them. And I think that right. that is one of the things that I've mm-hmm. come to understand and love about midwifery is that we really do get to know these women's women. We really get to know their families. Um, they become like our family as well. And so uh, that, that relationship, that trust that's there, that's formed, I don't think you can form it in a five to seven minute visit. So I th- I think that what yeah. we're doing is definitely transformational. We have a, a great uh, group pregnancy uh, model as well in which where every Wednesday night we get together, talk about different topics. Sometimes they want to we have someone come in and do, you know, like pregnancy dancing. We do all sorts of really interesting things. I don't do the dancing part, though. Um, my Practice part is <laughs> the dancing, but uh, I have other skills. I have other skills. <laughs> uh, the dancing part is not, not not you know high up on my skill list. But uh, and uh, <laughs> and you do this
0: like in cohorts of of women that are you know in the same trimester. Is that how the groups work? Yeah,
1: we do. We do it in cohorts. We invite. We invite all of the ladies, so uh, regardless of their uh, what trimester they're in, okay. because we find that they are able to help some of the uh, ladies who are uh, more newly pregnant. They answer a lot of questions for them. Um, it's just, it becomes mm-hmm. a very, we build these very organic relationships with people, and um, it seems to be working out really well, yeah. and now we're forming this postpartum group, because No one wants to leave care, and uh,
0: (laughs) yeah. Are you finding that those relationships are existing and sustaining beyond the you know that duration that they're pregnant or immediately postpartum? I do. Do you hear people saying that you know they're making friends and this is becoming their community?
1: They do make friends, and it does become their community. And what I've also experienced is that now we have these women who wants they volunteer for the clinic now and they're taking ownership of this, mm-hmm. this project and what we're mm-hmm. doing and, uh, and say, Hey, I'm going to run the prenatal group or, or I'm going to run the postpartum group for you all, or, you know, I'll come in one Wednesday a month cause we do it every Wednesday evening. I'll come in one Wednesday a month and, and do this or, and so it's, it's, We've kind of formed this family, and like I said, they've taken uh, ownership of the care that is being provided to the community, which we love. I don't know that we Mm -hmm. saw that part being birthed out of it, but it definitely has um, become a a huge piece of what it is that we're trying to do.
0: Yeah. We're going to take just a minute to hear a little bit from this week's sponsor. Okay. So today's episode is brought to you by Expectful, a guided meditation and mindfulness app for your fertility, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. And last week on March 5th, we did a special episode with one of the co-founders of Expectful, where we talk about how beneficial meditation is no matter where you're at on the journey. So if you head over to expectful.com slash motherbirth, you can get an exclusive one month free trial for motherbirth listeners. And if you sign up using that link, motherbirth will also receive a small commission. So we thank you so much for your support. If you join this month in March, you can also participate in our 30 Days of Mindfulness, where we're going to be sharing our own experiences of exploring meditation. We're going to do check-ins with you. We're going to actually have some live guided meditation, and we're going to do Q&As. That's all going to be via Facebook Live. So if you head over to the show notes of this episode on the blog or connect with us on Instagram and Facebook, you'll be able to see more details on how you can participate in that. So again, head over to expectful.com motherbirth and sign up for your free trial so you can start meditating and participate with us in our 30 days of mindfulness. We're going to get back to our conversation with Nakia. So I have a question for you on kind of the logistics side. How, you know, knowing the the demographics of your community, um, you know, the socioeconomics of your community, how have you guys structured the clinic and, and especially, you know, the midwifery services that you've added to this existing structure that's been around since the seventies, how have you structured this so that it is accessible to the community and, uh, you know, on a financial level, on a, um, you know, I I know you've described your facility a little bit, but can you kind of tell us a little bit more about how it works and how it works specifically for your community?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So choice is our main clinic Um, is, about 6,000 square feet. And so when we decided to expand, um, they knew they were going to build a new facility and they bought a piece of land maybe about a mile down from where the main clinic is. Well, there is a, there was a building that we discovered was an old OBGYN building adjacent to the lot that we bought. And so the, the people that were in that building decided they wanted to sell it. And so we bought it and the midwifery services are offered out of that space now, um, which, like I said, used to be an old OBGYN um, building. The, so in adding the midwifery services, and like you said, with the demographics of Memphis, Memphis is predominantly uh, African-American city, and mm-hmm. uh, the majority of uh, persons who in Memphis who are um, assessing birth, birthing services or prenatal care on TennCare, which is the Tennessee Medicaid. And their options are very limited in where they can get services in Memphis. So we recognize that as very important to us that that community ha- have access to different birth yeah. options. So that was very high up on our list of things that we wanted to make sure happened. Of course, the Tennessee uh, Medicaid reimbursement is awful <laughs> because, of course, they did not take the Medicaid expansion <laughs> money. But we
2: uh, amen right, which, uh,
1: same and yeah, which makes cancer. zero, zero <laughs> sense, right? Zero <laughs> sense. We're going to pass up on these millions of dollars that we already put one, you know, put into. But anyway, that's another uh, conversation for another that's time. That's a whole other episode. right, exactly. <laughs> so we were very intentional about saying we. Are going to take insurance, and we specifically want to uh, provide care for women of color and w- women of color who are on 10 care. And so uh, it's been very interesting. We definitely have the majority of our patients are on 10 care. We have a actually a very diverse, diverse group of patients that, you know, we have some with private insurance, but we also have others um, with. Uh, like I said, Medicaid, and what we've done is we we've been intentional about trying to balance that out um, to to see if we can get the private insurance to kind of offset some of the uh, costs for the uh, for us taking 10 care patients, but we also raise right. lots of money. <laughs> you know, Choices is a nonprofit mm-hmm. organization. We have a huge uh, patient assistance fund that we were using, you know, for our clinic services before before we added the, you know, the birth services. So. uh,
0: And that's just from years of fundraising mm -hmm. that that exists. Yeah. From years of
1: fundraising. And so, uh, we, we fundraise throughout the year to, um, to provide assistance to patients in the community. So those patients in the past have been, and they still are, you know, we have, uh, we have, we serve a large transgender community, um, and we help them with, like with their uh, hormone replacement therapy, um, We patients who come in for whatever, even if they come in for abortions and they can't pay the full amount, we use a lot of the, the monies from our patient assistance front. So we raise money throughout the year. And so we've just added those. To births. replenish and we, that, yeah. yeah we've just added the birth yeah. services into that as well. So we're just going to continue to mm-hmm. plug away with raising money. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I do think, you know, and I I always, this comes to mind that, you know, obviously years back the business of being born came out and the business of being born movie is about how a business can take advantage of women um, by making, you know, more a factory with these outcomes. But I think a lot of people forsake the other side where it's like, there is business that has to happen right. so that babies can get born. Yeah, <laughs> and, there's there's <laughs> uh, learning this balance that Nikki is describing so well of kind of figuring out how to see patients who have no no means to pay, um, but can have access to some public services, um, and then maybe people who don't have access to those services, and then on the other spectrum, also seeing patients who can have insurance through their jobs or um, through private pay and can be billed for insurance. All of those things need to exist for. Um, providers to be able to see women in communities, whatever those communities are. Yeah. I think people are always trying to find that balance like she was talking about. It's almost like you're looking at an algorithm and you're standing on one foot and putting a tinfoil hat and hoping at the end you hit your budget. Because what people don't understand is you see these, you know, I f- I feel like there's been so many things on the internet about how much birth costs and how outrageous it is the hospitals charge, you know, eighteen thousand dollars for a vaginal birth. And it's like the midwife right. is not getting paid eighteen thousand yeah. dollars. Absolutely. The hospital's getting paid. And so I think that that's something I I always like, and I like having space in this platform, obviously, to share with, you know, it's not that, it's not about the cost in the sense of like how much we get paid or how much this person gets paid in the sense of why we do what we do, but to be able to do what we do, we have to figure out how to be open. Oh,
1: absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, because we have to take care of ourselves too. And we have families, you know, I have small Mm -hmm. children that eat Mm -hmm. every day. And so- what? <laughs> Those things are really important.
0: You should try stretching yeah. them further. <laughs> right,
1: exactly. You know, my son told me he doesn't like to fast. Okay, so. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I think that.
0: My son wouldn't like it either. Right,
1: I think there's a misconception around uh, birth and yeah. the cost and, um, and who makes money mm-hmm. off of it. it. Definitely, okay, we know OBs do make more money than we do. Uh, But I think that the medical system has made uh, it very complicated. And I mean, to the point where even when you say, "Okay, I'm pregnant, let me call to see how much my birth would cost. They can't even give you... A number, they can't tell you, <laughs> right? I mean, I know if I go to the grocery store and, and, they they, and they will not. I know if I go to the grocery store and I want some milk, it's two dollars and fifty cents a gallon. I don't know if that's true, I don't buy milk, but we know what the, the cost of it will be. <laughs> it's gone, right? right? Yeah, yeah, we know what the cost yeah. of it will be though when we go and when we get to the checkout. Yeah. And so, I
0: and we can decide, oh, yeah. yeah, if we're getting the more expensive milk or the less expensive
1: milk, right? Or, absolutely. And yeah. I was just having this conversation with a um, the team this morning because you know we were talking about uh someone's insurance and their deductible and all these things they're like with the kid, can you talk to her about it i said wait 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 <laughs> this is not why i went to school i went to school to become a provider and yeah. <laughs> what i found now <laughs> is that now i'm not only a provider but i'm a social worker and i'm a biller and i'm yeah. all these other things that uh you're an economist yeah, absolutely <laughs> and um yeah, and it can be kind of hard, and I think that's why I say midwifery is kind of romanticized as well because people don't see this side of it. So, mm-hmm. yeah,
0: yeah, I think I think what Laura said earlier, she mentioned this it kind of in passing, just how you know she and I are both from, or you know have have lived and and kind of came into this work in the Northwest, and it is such a birth bubble here, um, and not in any way to to diminish the work that's being done in this community because it's you know it's it's really amazing but it's very true that you know birth centers the majority of birth centers in Portland for example where i live are you know i mean to to choose a to choose to give birth outside of the hospital you know whether that's at home or a birth center is is an alternative that's available really only to to a certain level oh, of privilege yeah. and Mm -hmm. cash pay. pay. I mean, and the, and the truth is, is that the majority of the people using those services are, you know, white middle-class, upper upper middle-class women. And, and, and I'm not saying that those people shouldn't, shouldn't have access to that, but it's, you know, there's, and there's a demographic difference too, but it's really, really so incredible that you're in a place where you say like, okay, not only, is this so necessary, but like, it's way harder, but we're going to do it anyways. I had, I had my second, um, my son who was stillborn in Oakland, which is a city that's demographically very different than Portland. I don't think it's, um, as predominantly African-American as Memphis is, but it, you know, it has, it's a very, very diverse, Um, community. And I had planned to give birth at a birth center there. That was, it was like what you're describing the, you know, all of the patients there were minorities. They were all, you know, on Medi-Cal. They were, um, you know, for them, they weren't there because this was like, you know, they had done hours and hours and hours and hours of research. And this was like what they, you know, wanted for their perfect empowering birth. It was like, this was actually a service to the community that was (laughs) available, accessible, and actually like their best option, you know? Um, and i think that that like for you t- for you guys to look at your community and say like these are the people in our community and this is what they need and that's what we're going to do like we're not going to we're not going to mess around we're not going to like worry about how hard it is to be approved for ten care we're not going to worry about like how much extra paperwork and bullshit we have to deal with that's who needs our help and this is how we can do it at, at least for right now yeah. like this is the this is the the vehicle yeah. you know
1: yeah i think that well, you know, like I said, I'm not from the South, so uh, I was kind of amazed by the South when I moved here. Not in a good way, but it um, mm-hmm. was kind of, uh, it was almost like stepping back in time in some ways. Uh, I'm from, you know, uh, that Washington, D.C., Maryland area, and midwives were part of the community there as well. And uh, after I graduated, college in uh, Washington, D.C. I moved to New York and hey, midwives were there. So they were part of the community. I don't think I really thought about them being there, but I knew that they were accessible. So in coming mm-hmm. to Memphis and really understanding the history of the South and the history of the granny midwife or the grand midwife in the South and how yeah. uh, she provided care to a community. And, you know, the grand midwife was really seen as uh, a healer in the community. They were valued and um, and they were revered because of their uh, skills and the fact that they did take care of families and babies and mothers. And so um, to see that and to understand that history that was once here and to see that it was totally gone because of, you know, policy and politics Uh, and then to see how midwifery had really changed to be um, something that was really for uh, white middle class or affluent families was really really disheartening because uh, the the families that really needed that personal care, that care that said, uh, we are community, you are loved, you are valued. Uh, wasn't getting it anymore. And so, and then to see the disparities uh, with really pretty much every, you know, uh, chronic illness or disease in the community and recognizing that there was no one there to really care for the, for the community anymore. And so mm-hmm. to say, okay, I'm going yeah. to uh, be one or two people and say, we're going to provide care for this community, no matter what. And we're going to figure it out. So we've taken this year figure to yeah, figure, it, figure it, out. it out. And it's been yeah. a really steep learning curve. Uh, but it's also been very rewarding too. And, um, like I said, we have some phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal women who we've served, who have, uh, really stepped in and said, how can we help you to keep this going? How can we help you? And, uh finding resources or being a resource. So that's been really great too.
0: So you feel, feel you you feel like the community as a whole has been receptive. I do. I do. Well,
1: definitely (laughs) the community has now what community that is not necessarily initially, not the medical community. You know, when you, you say I'm Uh, going to start, I'm going to start a midwifery service in a community um, that doesn't have that and, trying to make those connections with other practitioners because, of course, like I said, I'm from Washington, D.C., so midwives can practice independently there. So, uh, but in the South, they cannot. So a nurse midwife has to have what they call a collaborating physician. So to then say, okay, let me go out and try to make these relationships so that I can find a collaborating physician. You know, that, that was another issue.
2: Right.
1: Fortunately, you know, at the clinic, there is, uh, OBGYN, you know, so uh, who is the medical director. So that, you know, at least I had that collaborating physician, but still we needed to be able to make those relationships mm-hmm. with the, the hospital and with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the maternal fetal medicine doctors. And, uh, and so <laughs> mm-hmm. that's been a, a challenge as well. But I think that because I did work in the hospital and I worked at uh, one of the main hospitals that serves uh, women who do have ten care, and I did have uh, some good relationships there, mm-hmm. and um, so they have been—they've stepped up and been very supportive of what it is that we're trying to do. too. And so we're—we're we're making a pathway where uh, women can easily be seen by maternal-fetal medicine if they need it, or they can easily go mm-hmm. in for, you know, ultrasounds or whatever it is that they need. And so uh, I am grateful to that hospital and to the relationships that we are forging to, uh, to really uh, solidify midwifery's place in Memphis healthcare.
2: Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think that's just, it's, you know, I think we've probably said it a hundred times in this conversation. It's just so dynamic. The things that, you have to be savvy at in these pursuits, and what Nikki was talking about with this physician supervision was something new to me. Coming from Oregon and then coming to Texas and learning as I'm becoming an advanced practice nurse, learning like oh, except for in these states, there's these different laws where you actually have, to have a physician sign on these things, and you know, like most things, it's tri- some of its tradition, some of its politics, some of its money driven, um, but it creates barriers. And the reality is, you know, no one can. No one who reads public popular news is unaware that people are trying to, to put more and more attention on the disparities yeah. that exist in, in healthcare and in our communities, specifically for women of color. And I think when you look at these examples, and Nikita's done such a great job of kind of explaining what a climate looks like that's not supportive of women of color, which is no choices, no access, and barriers to access. And if you have a community where even if, you know, even women you know, I remember even in Oregon, like I was taking care of, um, before I was a nurse taking care of a teen mom. And in order for her to get her WIC money, she had to go to a county center and she happened to live right on the border of a County in Oregon. So she was technically in this one County, but it was a three and a half hour bus trip for her to go there. Wow. And it was just because the the place that she didn't have access to vehicle. And just because it was this one thing where it was literally like, if she had lived, two streets over she could have gone to a place that was a 20 minute bus right away right but it's just the way systems are set up and so you like the savviness this navigating and putting in this work to care for women in that way how can we figure out how the system works here and like be a part of it and help change it right and you know we have our show is based on women telling individual stories and so I love the idea of just expressing to y'all that are listening that your individual stories and the things that have gone well for you and not gone well for you in your motherhood journey is so influenced by everybody's other, everything that people have figured out along the way. And, you know, we are constantly saying, I think things are getting better. And I think I'm hopeful that women feel that way. And I'm hopeful that the things that um, are being shed light on and the interventions that are coming from that make it a better place that make America a better place for women to have women's health care period, you know, pregnancy care, birth, yes, but also just women's health care. And I think, you know, it's really difficult balance and figuring out how to make it easily accessible, how to pay, how to keep the lights on and how to really reach your community where they're at. So it sounds like you guys are doing that. And I kind of had ask you, you said, do you have young children? Did you have your kids in Memphis?
1: That's a good question. Um, I did not give birth to them. Um, <laughs> I adopted okay. them, which mm-hmm. is uh okay, yeah, it's an interesting uh, dynamic, but they're wonderful, they are five and six, and they're just mm. wonderful little human beings and um and I, I me and my husband have been totally enjoyed parenthood far more than I thought I think we thought we would, <laughs> so mm. no,
0: that's amazing, It's beautiful, yeah, so. As you guys are, what's kind of the next step for choices? Like you guys have been kind of rolling out this integration between, you know, the, the um, reproductive services that have been being offered for decades. Now you're sort of adding, you're making it more full spectrum, you have midwifery care being added, you're sort of transitioning with facilities, you're fundraising, you're doing all of these things. What's next? Like, where do you hope this, where do you hope this all is 18 months from now?
1: Okay. That's a good question. So we have, like I said, we purchased this land to build this new 16,000 square foot uh, clinic and we are breaking ground on this new clinic on September the 6th. So
0: it's
1: right around the corner. We're really excited about it. We've uh, been in the middle of a capital campaign and have raised quite a bit of money and uh, now we're ready to break ground. Um, and so this time next year, we we figure the facility will be finished and we'll be moved in and we'll be ready. We're already getting calls from people who are always asking us, uh, we want to plan our birth. Uh, so, so when do you think you'll be ready? You know, it was like, OK, so it's been a. Uh, interesting space to be in to try to figure out um when we'll be ready and be open but we know like i said we 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 plan to be open this time next year uh, in our new space and like i said it's a two story 16,000 square foot facility that has that will have three birthing suites and what's really amazing about this building is that the birthing suites will be on the second floor and they actually open to like this outdoor courtyard type garden where you can kind of walk around and sit and, uh, really enjoy, uh, the scenery as well as, uh, you know, have this uh, state-of-the-art birthing suite. So we're looking forward to it. Um, I think that's our biggest plan right now. I think we'll still be doing what we're doing, which is providing, uh, services to, uh, the community. We'll add different, um, prenatal classes, prenatal yoga and some other um, classes that the community is asking for. We'll continue to do our group prenatal care and and have our uh, robust prenatal groups and postpartum groups going, but really um, partnering with different people in the community and um, bringing them into the fold. Uh, We recognize we don't want to do it all. We don't want to do it all ourselves, you know. I just want to be right. a really great midwife, and those who want to do lactation, let them come in. They, they can be part of what it is that we're doing. We act, We actually do refer out to uh, a few of the lactation consultants in the city. Um, one of the things about our practices, uh, while we pr- provide, you know, hour-long prenatal visits, uh, after... Uh, After our ladies give birth, uh, we send a a lactation consultant to see them, usually, especially if they're a first-time mom, um, because we recognize that importance of uh, helping them and supporting them through breastfeeding. Because while breastfeeding is beautiful and it's wonderful and it's natural, it's not always easy. So we try to provide Mm -hmm. as much support as we can there, and and then we see them quite a few times in that postpartum period. So uh, our hope is to figure out how we can make these uh, services uh, available and more seamless and really to get more persons um, um, on board and on the team to, to help us provide those services. So that's hopefully where we'll be in the next 12 to 18 months.
0: Okay. That's awesome. So, so two, two questions as we, as we wrap up and Laura, you can certainly add something. It doesn't have to be just two questions. (laughs) Um, But um, what would you say to someone who, you know, cause the people listening to the show are, are largely, you know, young, new, you know, mothers and they're, you know, either pregnant or kind of in this transitional stage of life in the first few years of parenting. And so many of them are interested in, you know, different birth choices and, and sort of having the information and the access and the resources that they need to to make the best choices for them and their family, um knowing that there's you know such a wide range of communities that people live in and um you know access that they have is there what would you share with with someone that was um, making decisions about their reproductive health care?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would tell them to find you know. to to become part of these mommy groups. it seems like these mommy groups really know a lot more than, uh, than most of us. They kind of researched what's out there in the community and really to ask them about their experience, ask other pregnant women, how was their experience? What did they hope for in their experience? And then what did they actually get? You know, what,
0: Uh, and
1: I think it's really important. And, you know, I tell everybody, you know, um, while you may have one thing in mind for your experience, you know, it can change, but I think the, the best thing that you can do is really ask people who've already seen certain providers or had certain experiences with certain hospitals, ask them what their experiences were like. And, and that kind of can help you to make a decision about the type of a provider, um, you know, uh, that you want. and, yeah. Um, yeah, but I think that what what we what I see mainly is that the people who do come to us for services have really done their research, and they're very well educated mm-hmm. in what they want and what um and what they want their options to be, because to me this is um it's just very different to choose to choose a midwife or to choose to do a home birth. I don't think people just wake up and say, okay, I want to have a midwife. I want to have a home birth. I think they've done a lot of homework or they've also had some sort of experience that kind of led them to that. I really think it's important that you ask other people about their experiences, about their birth experiences, um, Mm -hmm. because they can really help you to understand what you should be looking for and what you should be Experience and then and you can kind of learn from them, uh, which what it is that you don't want, you know. So uh, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. I always I always think about it this way: like you can't you can't control or choose like what your actual birth experience is going to be, like the sequence of events and how it's all going to play out. But you can choose a care provider and and a team that is going to support and empower you through that. And that will make all the difference Mm -hmm. no matter what actually happens. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I think that team is so important. I think it's so important to have the right people with you when you give birth and uh, for those people to understand what it is, what your goals are and what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And, um, and the type of experience you want, you know, you don't want people with you who are afraid of you yeah. being in pain, or who can't stand to see you being yeah. in pain. Yeah. They are like, so yeah. if that's your mom, yeah. then mom doesn't need to be there with you, you know. So um, I think that's really important also. And a lot of times yeah. we don't we don't choose yeah. the right I... support people. Yeah.
2: Right. And I know we talk a lot about um, choosing your provider, like you said, is so important. And I loved what you said about asking questions about how did you feel about them in your experience? Because I think, you know, especially if it's your first experience and you know, we're talking about whether it's prenatal care or even just women's health care, you might go to a place that's either close to your house, has a really nice office, or someone told you like something about you just heard about it somehow. But actually asking what was the experience like? Yeah, yeah, they yeah they have privileges at this really nice hospital that has really new facilities. I hear that from so many people like, well, I want to see this doctor because they, they have privileges at, right. at the hospital and it's brand new. Mm-hmm. And I'm like,
1: right. that is the least important <laughs> yeah, thing. Right?
2: In my opinion, it's like... Whether the carpet is pink or or they have hardwood floors does not matter. It could look like 1960 and they could have the best providers and it could look like it was made, like it could be brand new and clean and nice. And it could be filled Absolutely. with people who have old practice or are bullies or don't listen. It's like, I always tell people, you know, does, do you feel, I mean, does, right. you, do you That's feel important. like your provider listens to you and you just see people's face right. change? Like, you oh, know. I never thought about that. I think about how much I pay, I think about how quick they get back to me and I think about how long it is. To and make I, I think those
1: things are really important and they you know, even when I talk to women here, um, they talk about the hospital and the um, the ambience of the hospital or right, yeah, you know, I'm like, Really? I was like, Do you know what their C section rate is? You know, so mm-hmm. those things.
0: <laughs> yeah. Are they going to let you move during yeah, labor? You move Can you eat? <laughs> yeah.
1: um, you know, it's just yeah. that mm-hmm.
0: things that are actually going to affect right, your absolutely. experience. But
1: I don't think that people think about yeah. those things until they usually have their second baby, you know, or until they yeah. uh, talk to someone yeah. who's had a different experience. And then they're like, oh, wait a minute. I didn't think about that. Oh, I do want mm-hmm. that type of experience. I do want be able to move. I want to be able to eat. I want to have a provider who listens to me and who values uh my opinion and who recognizes that I'm the expert of my body, you know. So, I don't think they they know those mm-hmm. things until they don't have them. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Until yeah, until you experience mm-hmm. the the lack of those things. It's so so stark and so noticeable every conversation we have with women there's this you, almost always this really distinct shift between what happened with their first birth and what they want oh, for yeah, their second. Absolutely. It's just across the board, you know. It's really, really striking. So my my second question was going to be for someone listening who is just as excited about what you are doing in Memphis as we are, and knowing that you guys are getting this massive project up and off the ground, how can people support Choices uh, financially? What you know, how can how can people get involved? Um, yeah,
1: absolutely. That's a good question. So they can go to our website, which is you know www.memphischoices.org and they can definitely uh, contribute to our capital com- campaign um, we do partner with other people in the community especially we I feel that uh, we're reaching out to a lot of non traditional partners people that you know you wouldn't necessarily think that we were partner with and provide us a really uh, cool services for um, our families. So if they have a service that they think that would be beneficial to the families, they can definitely reach out to us and call us and um, or contact us through our website. They can definitely you know, send, send me an email. I don't know if you all post things on your podcast uh, underneath it, but um, definitely. Uh, yeah, we do, so yeah. yeah, tell them to reach out to us through our email or through our um, website and and we're kinda of documenting what we're doing in terms of our uh evolution on there as well. So I think they'll they'll be interested to follow us. And you can follow us on Facebook. We uh, believe it's Memphis Choices uh on Facebook as well. And so yeah, we're doing some really cool things, I think.
2: Awesome. That's awesome. It's been so great to hear from you and so personally inspiring to me on my midwifery journey and also just, I think, so necessary for the women of our audience to kind of hear um, what beautiful things are coming out of um, needs that have been identified. And I just appreciate you and your commitment to midwifery. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate, I appreciate the time and I appreciate you all. And thank
2: you so much, Nakia. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth. And a special thanks to our editors, sponsors, and guests for this week's show. As always, this show is created by Laura and Melissa and is intended as general information that does not constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care, if you are pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period. In this episode, we may use affiliate links to
0: products and services that we know and trust. These are products we have personal experience with and believe that they will benefit our community. When you use these links, Mother Birth receives a small commission. What you pay for the product or service doesn't change at all, it's the same price. If we share something that includes a discount code, we may still receive an affiliate commission without affecting the discount offered to you. Thank you for supporting our show.